truly a wonderful thing. None of us deserve it. We can't demand it. It's freely given. But oh, how we need grace. How we need grace. Beautiful, beautiful song. Well, this morning we are going to continue through the book of Malachi. We're going to be in chapter 3, looking at verses 6 through 12. And we're going to be talking about grace this morning in this topic of stewardship, of tithing, of giving. Not a subject we hear a lot about and uncomfortable for many, but it is a heart issue. I'll share that again later as we go through this, but remember that. And the heart that is touched by grace will understand that. If you are... There in the third chapter of Malachi, if your Bibles are open, I invite and encourage you to stand in honor of the reading of the word. And we will go ahead and get into this message, beginning with verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed from the days of your father you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Father, thank you for this, your word. And God, just search our hearts this morning that we might not be guilty of robbing you, but Father, instead honoring you with grateful hearts. We ask, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Malachi has been talking about worship, true worship. He's been talking about restoring worship, the need for it, that what they've been doing is going through the motions. And if you've been with us, we've talked about how God has set his love upon them and he's been there for them. And in spite of that, they have rebelled. They have gone their own way. And now that they've even been brought back into the land after that 70-year exile and after being in the land for 70, 80 years, they're still just going through the motions. 
And so we've seen the back and forth with uh, the people and the priests and the leadership and, and all the things they were doing. And then as Malachi is getting ready to, to close this letter to them, as he's sharing the end of his message, he, he tells them, and you might think this is kind of out of place, but it's a very profound truth when we're talking about worship. And I think the first thing we can take away from this is that true worship will be lacking where we fail in our devotion to God for who he is. Because that's what he's saying in verse 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. God doesn't change. He is who he says he is. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. And he also as part of that, is telling them this. You better be thankful. You better be glad I'm a God who doesn't change. Because if I were to change, I would destroy you. That's, that's kind of not what we're expecting there. It should come as a shock to us. Because he says, I don't change. And then the next statement is, Therefore, that's the reason you are not consumed. Whoa. Yeah, we, we fail in our respect and reverence for God. We, we fail to remember who he is, but he's God. He's the covenant God. He's the creator God. And we're accountable to him. And these people, and he's reminding them of who they are, Oh, children of Jacob. Jacob was one of their ancestors. These people were in a covenant relationship with God. He entered into it with them, but there were certain things he said he would do, and there were expectations amongst the people, certain things they would do. And he says, I haven't changed. I haven't went back on my word. I promised you that if you obeyed me and I gave you my commands, they're very clear. And I promised if you obeyed me and followed me, I would bless you. And I also, and we see this in Deuteronomy, the end of Deuteronomy chapters 27, 28, 29. He said, if you fail to obey me, if you despise me, if you don't honor me if you worship idols and other gods. I will place a curse upon you. And God was faithful to his word. But in his faithfulness, he made a promise that he said he would not totally remove his covenant love from these people. Because he's God. And so he's never went back on his word. And he never will. But he is reminding them of who they are. Now, he could have picked Abraham. He could have picked Isaac. He could have even said something about being descendants of David. But he picked Jacob. Why Jacob? Well, if you know much about Jacob in the Old Testament, Jacob 
was the original wheeler dealer of the Old Testament. He was a flim-flam man. He was a trickster. He was a cheater. He was not trustworthy. God is reminding them of their nature. While it should reflect his nature, they're being more like the children of Jacob. They're more like their ancestor Jacob. They've been cheating and trying to deceive and defraud God. And he's basically saying, no, you're not getting away with it. The only reason, and you should understand there's grace here, I'm giving you grace because you're still alive. You got up out of bed this morning. You had a bed to sleep in. We ate something. We were, were dressed. I don't see anybody without clothes in here. And you, you, I'm not trying to be... We just talked about a need. Gary got up here and talked about a need for some that don't have much. We, we've been blessed. And it's grace. We don't deserve that. We don't deserve all the blessings that we have. And yet, we, we drift away and we do not honor God. And what he's telling us, just like them... What you need to do is return to me and I will return to you. That's what he's telling them. And that's, it's, this is the last chapter, last book of the Old Testament. But that is the message of the New Testament. I was reading a commentator that said this return, which is the Old Testament word for repent, is the summary of the Old Testament prophets. If you turn back one book to Zechariah chapter 1, you'll see this in verses 3 and 4. He said, Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But notice how that verse ends. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Message after message, prophet after prophet is saying return, return. And they're saying, who, us? Do we, do we really need to do this? Well, see, you know, because sometimes what we can do is we can fool ourselves. We think we're in better shape than we are, physically and spiritually. But, you know, when it's physical, if we've been doing some stuff, if we've been, uh, and it's, what, end of February, so that New Year's thing about being better shape, eating better, exercise, all that. That's been gone for a while, but we started it. So we're thinking we're still better than where we were. Well, yeah, I know I'm not walking as much as I was. Uh, yeah, I'm still pretty good shape. See, we fool ourselves. Get on a scale. 
get on a scale and the illusion's gone. Reality, you're looking at reality. Doesn't lie. See, we, we, we don't look into the perfect law of liberty, as James says. We're like a man looking in a mirror and turns away and we forget what we look like. When we go back to the standard, we realize we've drifted. We're not honoring God like we should. But he deserves it because of the grace that he extends to us. He was extending grace to these people in the fact that he was letting them live. That he hadn't consumed them in his holiness. And they weren't getting it. So he's going to say to them, okay, well, you're still thinking you're all right. Because they say here at the end of verse 7, how shall we return? They're basically what they're saying, what, what, what do you mean return? Do, what, repent? And that's what the word repent means. It means a turning away. It's not just feeling bad about something. The Greek word for repent in the New Testament is to change your mind. If you were walking this way, if you're doing this thing, whatever it might be, and you repent of that action... You're doing a 180-degree turn, and you're going to go the other way. And when that comes to being in Christ, that means if you've been living for yourself, if you've been living for the world, you're doing what you want to do. When you're convicted of your sin by the Holy Spirit, you're turning away from that sin, and you're turning to Jesus in faith. That's repentance. You're not going to do what you used to do. But even for us believers, we can drift from our devotion to God. And, and they're, saying, they're like thinking they're okay and God's telling them to get on the scales. And the way he's going to show us this, he says that true worship in one sense, in a very important sense, is reflected through our stewardship of our God-given resources. Because this is what he does in verse 8. He says, well, will a man rob God? And the, it's a rhetorical question because the answer is, a, well, no. How can you rob God? How can you rob the creator of the universe? How, how can you get away with that? How unsmart that would be for someone to rob God. Now, I might rob you, and you might rob me, but none of us really are that foolish to rob God and he says yet you're robbing me and they're like what oh how have we robbed you God we're not that bad of people he said in your tithes and your contributions you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me the whole nation of you He's not saying just a few of them. He's saying all of them. Now, these people were under a law. They were commanded to bring their tithes to the storehouse. And part of that was produce. Part of that was animals. And that was for the upkeep of the priests and the Levites because they got a portion of it under the, the Mosaic law. They were commanded to bring it. 
Now, when we think of tithing, we think of 10%, and that's really inaccurate. Because in the Old Testament, when you look at all of what they were required to give, what it worked out to really was annually they were required to give 20 to 25% of their income. That's what they were required under law to give. And they weren't doing it. And they're saying, what do you, what do you mean? Well, you go back to the first part of our study in Malachi and we talked about what they were bringing, they were bringing polluted offerings, they were bringing blind animals, sick animals, lame animals, and they were commanded not to. So in that sense, they were robbing God, they were cheating him. They had other stuff, and they were keeping the good stuff back for themselves. And so God's calling them out on this. Now, as I said, we're under grace. There is no command in the New Testament that tells us as believers to give a certain percentage of our income. It's just not there. One commentator did point out the the act or practice of tithing comes before the law. Abraham gave a tenth of all of his spoils to Melchizedek, and that's way before Moses. So there is this concept that he didn't have to do that. He chose to do that as an act of worship. When we talk about worship through our giving, that's what it, this is worship. This is not an add-on. This is a part of our worship. And sometimes we just see it as, well, yeah, give, yeah, here, here comes a plate. Oh, i got to put something in it. No, no, that, see, that's the wrong attitude. We're not under law. What then is the standard for grace living? Uh, a pastor by the name of Stephen Cole has written this. If Christians aren't held to 10%, then how do you determine what amount to give? The New Testament principle is that God owns it all. We just manage it for him. The New Testament standard is to give generously and cheerfully as God has prospered you out of gratitude for his indescribable gift of salvation. When we look at it that way in the scriptures there, he gives our 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. The entire chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. And Danny read this morning from 2 Corinthians 9. And then Acts eleven twenty nine, And that talks about proportional giving. What's salvation worth to you? How do, you, how do you put a price tag on eternal forgiveness? Now, we can't pay God back, and that's not the point. No one, no one can do that, and he doesn't require it. But out of gratitude for what he's done, and out of the way he's blessed us with what we have, what does it say about our heart 
if we don't want to give much. The reality, giving, well, I should say not giving or giving grudgingly, it's a hard issue. It's a hard issue. Don't think that if you write out a check and you're like, if I do this, I'm not going to be able to whatever. All right. If I don't give it to God now, I'll probably have an accident. Probably car will break down, so I better. That's a terrible attitude. That's a terrible attitude. You think God's going to bless that? He says in Sacred, He loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Because it's grace. And that is possible for us. Now, we can, and, and see, God's, God's making this offer to them. He's saying, You're cursed right now. But that can change. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Wow. Just, just think of what that looks like. You know, when I was, I was reading and studying and praying over this, I thought about sometimes like in, in um, July, August, going down 16 and going to Oxford Dam and, and looking there, and if the spill gate is open, there might be some stains where the water has flown or there might be a little trickle down it. You go buy it, if you go buy it a couple Thursdays ago after that, monsoon that we had you go by and the spill gates are and it's just flooding out it's just pouring out it's just amazing you ever walk went by one of those places where it's just it's coming out it's just amazing the flow and it's just it's like wow where's all that water coming from how can there be that much water that's what god's saying i'll bless you in ways you can't even imagine and it's about a heart cry of obedience. Now, let me just do say this because we live in a world of, of, of prosperity preachers and a bunch of false teachers on, on TV and radio and we hear them. I'm not talking about you're in a financial struggle right now. So, think, okay, well, you know, hey, if I write a $100 check to the church... Uh, in a couple of weeks, I should get a thousand back somehow to me. That's not how this works. That's not what this is about. I know that's what the scam artists on TV say. You know, you throw, you sow a seed of faith, and God will bless you. Well, I was listening to a pastor one time in a, uh, in a, in a message about that, and he was he was sitting in the hotel room. He was doing a revival out somewhere west. And one night he had the TV on and he saw one of these guys talking about that. So he called him up. Called him up and said, I want to talk to... This is after the, 
the event was over, the crusade, whatever it was, said, I want to talk to the big man. And, you know, he never got through to him, but he, he did get one of the assistant guys. And he, he got him on the phone and he said, hey, listen, I'm a pastor and I'm in ministry too. And I want to help your, your, I want to help your ministry out. You're saying you, you guys are, are, are needing all this money, all the stuff you're doing. How about you send me a hundred dollars and God will bless your big ministry with a thousand. And he said the guy actually laughed at him. And he said, brother, it don't work that way. <laughs> yeah, you got that right, it doesn't. That's a one-way street. That's not what God's talking about here. He's talking about walking in obedience because you understand what he's done for you in Christ. You're under grace. No, you're not required to do a particular thing. But wow, what a privilege it is to get to contribute to the kingdom ministry. It's a privilege. It's a privilege. They weren't trusting God. They were thinking, hey, we're in bad shape. We're still a small nation. We're still under rule. Things aren't going well. Um, we, better, we better keep back. We need a safety net. And if I give God the good stuff, I'm going to be in bad shape. I'm not going to be able to make it through the end of the month, the end of the year. And God's saying, I am faithful. I don't change. I've made this promise, and if you believe this promise, I will bless you. It's a heart issue. Now, we can trust God. They could trust him. He's the same God. He still hasn't changed. Hebrew 13 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same Yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. We can trust him. And here's, here's a shocker to some people. God doesn't need your money. God's not broke. He's doing okay. Last time I checked, he owns the entire universe. He's got a cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And, and let's just look at the New Testament. You can flip to, and this is quick. We're not going to do the whole stories. Um, Luke 18 and 19. Let's look at two different people real quick. I'm going to summarize. We're going to start with the rich young ruler in Luke 18, this is 22, 25. This man came to Jesus. He wanted to know. He said, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said some things to him. And he said, yeah, you have done that. Check those boxes, check those boxes. And then Jesus looked at him and said, sell your money, give your possessions to the poor, and then come follow me and you'll have blessings in heaven. The young man went away sad. Now, was Jesus after his money as a condition for his salvation? No. 
Being Jesus, he knew this young man had a problem. He was trusting in his money. And Jesus was getting him to see, no, 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 it's not about trusting your money. It's about trusting me, the one who gives you the ability to get the money. And then if you look at Luke 19, just one chapter over, this is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a terrible person, a tax collector. He was despised. But I want you to look at verses 8 and 9. When the people grumbled in verse 7 and called him a sinner, this is after he comes out, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone or anything, I restore it fourfold. There was a response of a heart that had been changed. It's not about the money, but the money reveals the condition of the heart. The rich young ruler wouldn't let go of his, and Zacchaeus, because he had been saved, because he had experienced salvation, says, hey, I want to help people. I want to give it back. I want to I repent. I've stole from people. I'm not that person anymore. I want to give it back. And look what Jesus says. Today, salvation has come to this house. Salvation's a free gift. There's no price tag on it, but it's only received with an empty hand. If you hold on to the things of the world... You'll not get salvation. Well, as we close, Heather and the musicians come. I want to just make a point about living under grace. I'm under grace right now. I'm not in any kind of legalistic framework. I'm married. And I have, in grace, I can choose how much time I want to spend with my wife. And... I might choose to spend 30 minutes a week with her on Tuesdays, Tuesday afternoons. Unless something better comes up, then I'm going to go do that. And I have the grace to do that. I have the freedom to do that. What kind of relationship is that? Is that a loving, committed, devoted relationship? Not a person in here would say, yeah, that's healthy, that's good. Not a one of us. But that's how we look at giving to God, to kingdom work. Well, you know, I'm under grace, so I don't have to give. I don't have to do this. No, you don't. You get to privilege and we're blessed here at Sulphur Springs we're over budget and I know people give here and that's great but what about these other ministries what about the ministry that we're we're talking about with DSS what about the food pantry ministry what about the tutoring ministry what about and it doesn't have to be in this church there are other good godly Christian ministries see here's the deal if if you're just working to get and to keep that that's a sin God has given us the ability to work 
and to earn so we can give. So we can give. A heart of grace understands that. And it's easy to drift. It's easy to move away from God. But that message that the, the, he gave to the prophets throughout the Old Testament, return to me. That's available to us today. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Come to me. We can repent. If you, as a believer, if you've drifted away from in grace, you're saying it doesn't have to be about money. It can be about yourself. He wants your heart. He wants your life. Romans 12.1 says that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. It's not just about money. Sometimes it's easier to give money than to actually do something for the Lord, to get involved. Sometimes he's asking us to do, to step up. It's grace. God didn't have to love us. Jesus didn't have to come, but he did. How do we view his gift? How do we respond to that gift? Be like the rich young ruler, reject it, or we can be like Zacchaeus and just freely give out of a grateful heart. Father, I thank you for this challenge from your word. God, it reminds us that it is so easy for us to drift in our devotion to you. It's so easy for us to drift in our worship. Yeah, and we think we're doing okay. God, give us a heart checkup this morning. Father, help us to understand what it means to have a heart that is fully devoted to you. God, help us to love you supremely, to worship you in truth and in spirit. And God, if there's an area of our life that we are closed off, have closed off, Father, help us to repent of that. And Father, help us to turn and follow you more closely. God, wherever we're at, you just draw us back to yourself. We ask and pray this in Christ's name. Amen.